We'll start reading in verse 1, read all the way down to the 18th verse. Read through the whole chapter here. And we'll come back and we'll look at a few things as the Lord leads in uh, some of these verses. Second Peter chapter 3. Scripture says, This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved... Be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any of us or any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heaven shall pass away with great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also, and the works that are therein, shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these uh, shall all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we walk according to his promise. Look for new, uh, look for new heaven and new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. And account that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation. Even as our beloved Paul, brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you. As also in all his epistles, speaking in them in these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are <coughs> unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures under their own destruction. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Now let's just go back and and go through this uh conclusion that Peter is writing in this second epistle. Now we know that Peter has already written epistle. Uh, if you matter of fact, if you want to turn back to the first epistle of Peter, we see who 
he is writing to, who the recipients of these letters are. First Peter chapter 1, it says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God and Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, Grace be unto you, and peace be multiplied. So here we see that this letter, the first letter, was written to uh, the uh, strangers scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, if you remember. <clears throat> as Paul first began breathing out his uh, threats to the church in Jerusalem, the church then... Uh, there in Jerusalem scattered. If you remember, there was roughly, you know, uh, 2,000 or so members of that Jerusalem church at the time. Uh, on the day of Pentecost, of course, we had, you know, the uh, 12 apostles, and then we had the uh, 500 uh, that were there along with Jesus, that Jesus showed himself to after his resurrection. Uh, those women and men that uh, followed along uh, with Jesus and the apostles as they um, ministered uh, while Jesus was here. Uh, but then on the day of Pentecost, after Peter preached, there were roughly 2,000 people that were converted and were baptized and was added to the church. So we see that there was a big, big group of people at the time uh, and even more that had been added later. But as Paul began to breathe out these threats to the church, the church was was scattered. Um, was talking about this uh, earlier this week. The church wasn't scattered because they were scared, like they were running and hiding from Paul. They were they were actively scattered. They were in, in, purposely scattered uh, to go out into all the world as the uh, as the Lord had directed them to do to to go first from Jerusalem, then to Judea, and then to the other parts of the world, Samaria, and the other parts of the world. And so they were scattered throughout uh, the region, and they went into that uh, region preaching the gospel. So we have all these strangers to these other lands have been scattered out. And this is who Peter is writing to. He is writing to these uh, belie- uh, believers who have been scattered uh, throughout the region. And as you see there, you, you can see Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. Um, that they were scattered. Now, in this second epistle that he has written, uh, he writes, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So we see here two times Paul or Peter is very clear in who he is writing to. He is writing to the saved people of God, the uh, beloved, the strangers, the pilgrims. Well, I don't think he used the word pilgrims, but strangers uh, identifies with that. The elect. Uh, here he says those who have obtained like faith, those who are the righteousness because of Christ Jesus. Uh, so we see that these letters are not written to people in general. Okay? And I would even go so far to say that neither is the whole Bible. The whole Bible is written to God's people as a revelation of their God and their Savior, Jesus Christ, uh, and is given to them. 
the natural man cannot receive these things. So uh, this is for the spiritual people of God. But we see specifically here who Paul is writing to. So now we see in, in chapter 3 where, we, where we're going to pick back up where we begin our reading. He says this is the second epistle. So we know that this is still to the same people. Uh, and he calls them beloved. I now write unto you in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. So Paul or Peter is wanting to uh, remind them of some things. And now what's going on? Well, there's false prophets that have arisen within the church and have begun to teach heresy. There is scoffers that's been coming and have been telling them, hey, you guys keep saying that Christ is coming back, but here it's been all this time since he's supposedly resurrected and supposedly ascended back to heaven, but yet he's never come back. Where is he coming? When is he coming back? So they have these false teachers, they have these scoffers, and the church is becoming a little antsy saying, you know, hey, you know, they're starting to listen to these guys and beginning to have some doubts and everything. And so Peter is writing this letter as a letter of remembrance to remind them of the promise of Jesus Christ. Now, if you guys remember, the scriptures are very clear in the fact that the Bible says that God cannot lie. He's not like a man that he, that he can lie. And so whenever Christ made a promise that he would come again, uh, then uh, he is going to carry that promise out. Uh, he promised uh, whenever he was here, he said, I am going away to prepare a place for you, and if I go away, surely I will come and receive you unto myself. I will come and bring you to myself. Um, that where I am, you may be also. Uh, paraphrasing that, of course, but um, that's what Jesus promised. And if Jesus makes that promise, we can count on that. Uh, for my, my kids that, and my wife, who is with, with us at the conference, you heard me read the, the passage uh, whenever concerning God's purpose is immutable, uh, we read that passage that, you know, whenever God says something, he's going to carry it out. He's going to do it. Uh, God cannot lie, uh, but God has made these promises, and he's made these promises by two immutable things, which is, number one, God's counsel, which will stand, and the fact that God has made an oath that this stuff is going to take place. And so we can count on those things, and so... Peter here is bringing these people's minds into remembrance of the promises of Jesus Christ. And that's basically my intent this morning in going through these verses, especially in chapter 3, is to remind us that Christ is returning. Uh, I know we can become very complacent. We can become so busy in our lifetime that we really don't really think about the fact that Christ could come at any minute. At any time. And that he is coming back. And sometimes we just don't even have that on our radar. But we need to be reminded of these things. The Bible tells us that we should be watching uh, and waiting uh, for his return. Uh, for those of us who are uh, Christ Jesus children, <clears throat> we've been given a hope. Uh, and that hope that we have is the hope of his return as much as it is the hope of his salvation that he has given us in a legal sense, but the hope of his return so that there might be a consummation or a, a wrapping up, a, a finishing of this redemption because so far we've been redeemed uh, as far as, as legality is concerned, 
But one of these days, these bodies are going to be redeemed in the fact that this flesh that is full of sin is going to dissolve uh, into nothing, and Christ is going to give us a new body, and our spirit, which is perfect and created in true righteousness and holiness, and our body will be equal, our body without sin. Uh, and so... Uh, a lot of times we forget about these things. We don't think about this. And for the child of grace, we are longing and yearning for these things. But even at that, you know, we can be caught up in the busyness of life and we need to be remembered, uh, re- be brought to remembrance of these things. He says in verse 2, that ye might be mindful of the words which were spoken before of the holy prophets and the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord, uh, and Savior. Um, and Jude, if you'll turn to Jude, look at Jude, starting in verse 1, it says, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Christ, Jesus Christ and called, <coughs> mercy unto you and peace, and love be multiplied, beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord uh, God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I will therefore put you in remembrance, though ye once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt afterward, destroying them that believed not, and the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness, under the judgment of the great day, even as Sodom and Gomorrah, and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication, and going after strange flesh, and set, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael, the archangel, while contending with the devil, he disputed uh, about the body of Moses, durst not bring uh, against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. But these speak evil of those things which they know not, but what they know uh, naturally as brute beasts, in those things they corrupt themselves. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward, and perished in the gainsaying of Kor. These are spots in your feast of charity, when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Clouds they are without water, carried about of winds, trees whose fruit withereth, without fruit twice dead, plucked up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame, wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. And Enoch, also the seventh from Adam, prophesied these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousand of his saints, to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them and of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which uh, ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are murmurers, complainers, 
walking after their own lust, and their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. So see here, even Jude is bringing remembrance to the believers, saying, listen, remember, all these men are that are infiltrating in and are speaking these things, he's saying, keep in mind what God said. Don't be listening to what they say. What did God say? And as I've mentioned to you guys before, and I've taught you all growing up, the only thing that we have that is truth is the Word of God. The only thing that we have that we can bank on is the Word of God. I can fail. You can fail. Every preacher in this world can fail and is fallible and can preach an untruth. I know there's a lot of preachers out there that they don't admit that they can preach an untruth. They think they know it all. But brethren, listen, we are fallible people. The only thing that we can count on is what God's Word says because it's true. But here we see Jude is bringing them into remembrance of what the Lord said. He said, how that they told you there would be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own godly lust. These be they who separate themselves, (coughs) sensual, having not the Spirit, but ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keeping yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life, and of some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by by the flesh. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to the only wise God our Savior be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. So back to Second Peter, we see that these are the things that we are to be mindful of, the words that were spoken by the holy prophets in the Old Testament. These things were talked about in the Old Testament. They were talked about in type and shadow. They were talked about veiled, but they were talked about. But now they've been revealed to us. They're open by the uh, command of the apostles through the Lord Jesus Christ. He says in verse 3, Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts. Well, what's a scoffer? Well, someone who's out there and is just making fun or just poking fun uh, at uh, at what's going on. is just, you know, uh, just passing it off as nothing, you know. Uh, even doubting it, just saying, you know, hey, just like what, what we're talking about here. You know, where is the Lord? Look at verse 4, matter of fact. And saying, where is the promise of his coming? You know, you guys keep saying the Lord's coming and here it is. It's been, you know, 2,022 years since your your Savior died and resurrected and all that stuff, you know. Roughly 2,022 years. Uh, but where's he, come, where's he at? I thought he promised he was coming back soon. Well, what did, what did Peter say? He said, Beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing. Verse 8. Don't be ignorant of, of this thing. Don't listen to the scoffers. Okay? Why? Because they willingly are ignorant of what God has said. They're ignorant of what God has said. And he said, don't you be ignorant of what God has said. 
Get your Bibles and read your Bibles and see what the promises of God have been about His coming back. He said, He said, where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continued as they were from the beginning of the creation. Everything's continuing on, trucking on, year after year, day after day. Everything's the same. Look at verse 5. He says, For they are willingly or ignorant of that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. He's reminding them that remember... Things aren't always like it is. Things do change. God does come in judgment. If you'll remember uh, Noah, in the days of Noah, men were eating and drinking and carrying on about their lives and they were scoffing. Whenever Noah was preaching to them about righteousness and was preaching to them about Christ and about the gospel, of course again, veiled, uh, but preaching to them about righteousness, and about God, they were scoffing and mocking. They weren't listening. And then all of a sudden, judgment came upon them. And the wicked were taken away, and the righteous were left behind. And so he says, it wasn't like that. It isn't just going to continue on and continue on and continue on like it always is. There is going to be a day of reckoning. There is going to be a day of judgment. There's going to be a time when Christ comes... And he's going to come in judgment. He says, also remember Sodom and Gomorrah. Look at that. Sodom and Gomorrah. We've seen that in Jude, actually, not Peter. All these, all these people in these cities was living in immorality. They were fornicating. What does the word fornicating mean? Well, that's having sex outside of marriage. God has ordained that, that sexual relations are to be kept within the confines of a husband and a wife in marriage. And that's it. Not outside. Not before you're married. Not while you're married with somebody else. Okay? That is a, that is a, uh, a command that God has given us that we are to be faithful, uh, and that this is given to us, uh, in the confines of marriage. However, Sodom and Gomorrah, they had, they had perverted that. They, the Bible says that they were, um, they were fornicating. Not only were they just having rampant sex with everybody that wanted to have sex and not within marriage, but the Bible also says that mankind was laying with mankind and womankind was laying with womankind. Exactly what is being pushed in our society today. That that uh, homosexuality, uh, lesbians, LBTGQ, whatever it is, all the letters are, all these things are now being promoted as a normal lifestyle, and they're shoving it down your throat, saying that this is normal. It ought to be normal. They're putting it in everything. They're putting it in children's cartoons. They're putting it in advertisements on TV, commercials, where at one time you never would have even spoken of these things, now they're showing it on commercials and children's TV shows. They're trying to make and push what is abnormal 
and to make it normal. And they've gone so far now that whenever you speak God's word and say, that's not right, that's normal, now you're saying, you're being called a bully. You're being called someone who is intolerant. Someone who is old-fashioned. That's old days thinking. You're thinking like a, you know, you're thinking like a boomer or whatever. You know? Listen, guys, God's Word doesn't ever change. What God said in the Old Testament, He says in the New Testament, He says right now. It doesn't change. Just because the times have changed and men have grown more wicked on the earth or the manifesting of their wickedness has been greater in the earth doesn't mean that God's Word has changed. It's still sin. It's still uh, abnormal for that to take place. And yet we see it on TV, we see it in commercials, we hear it in music, we see it out in the open, everywhere you go, it's pushed. Just, hey, sex is okay, just have it whenever you want, with whoever you want. It doesn't matter if it's a, 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 a man, if it's a woman, if it's a man dressed like a woman, a woman acting like a man. And it, listen, I'm telling you, it's gonna eventually happen. They're gonna say it doesn't matter if it's even a child. Go ahead. As long as they're, as long as they say it's okay. But brethren, listen, God destroyed two cities, Sodom and Gomorrah, for that very thing. He destroyed everyone in the city. And so this is what Peter is reminding them of, saying, listen, there were scoffers then, there are scoffers now, there is false teachers then. There is false teachers now. Don't listen to their rhetoric. Don't listen to their uh, persuasion where they're trying to make you feel guilty for following God's Word. See, that's what a lot of these scoffers and that's what a lot of these false teachers are trying to do. They're taking God's Word and they're twisting it and changing it and trying to get you... You really, They're going back to what Satan did in the garden when he said, Hath God really said... These people are saying, do you think that the God of love would really tell you that you shouldn't love these people and just accept them for whom they are? Doesn't God accept us for whom we are? No, God doesn't accept us for who we are. There is not one person in all this world that God has accepted for who they are. He's only accepted them for who they are in Christ Jesus. See, the only way that we're accepted in God is by who we are in Christ Jesus, by being in Christ. He doesn't accept us as lesbians and queers and, and gays and transsexuals and, and uh, uh, you know, whatever the other letters mean. I don't, you know, whatever that is. That, no, he doesn't accept us as that and says, okay, come in here and it's all right. You continue being like that because I love you anyway in spite of who you are. No, that's not what God... Means the only way that God loves us and accepts us is because we are in Christ Jesus, and He loves us because Christ Jesus has died for us, and His righteousness is laid to our account. And whenever He does save us, He changes our heart to where we want to do what God says. We want to be not sinners like God has shown us to be. Now we can't quit sinning, but I believe that God does. Equip us and enable us to overcome these sins that's in our lives. And he delivers us from those things. 
The one who, and what a great testimony. We, we, we know of, of people that the Lord has delivered from these types of lifestyles and everything. Um, and so we're thankful for those things. Let's look at what it says here. It says, <clears throat> verse 7, But the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire, against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. So he's saying here that there is coming a day that judgment is going to come and this world will be judged. It's not going to be destroyed by water like he did with Noah. And with Sodom and Gomorrah, he destroyed it with fire and brimstone, but it was only two cities. With Noah, he destroyed the whole earth with water. But he made a promise that he would never destroy it with water again. But brethren, he has made a promise that one of these days he's going to destroy everything of this earth with fire. It's going to completely be dissolved away, as it says here. But the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. God is reserving this there. Now, I'm just going to say on a side note of this. Notice that it says here that they that it is reserved. This world, this earth, the heavens and the earth, are reserved until that day of judgment, for that day of judgment. So again, all this notion that people talk about in the world here about man-made global warming or man-made climate change that's going to destroy our earth if we don't stop this, if we don't tax everybody to death so that we can have all of these green programs and all this kind of stuff. We don't get all this implemented. Our earth is going to start dying. We're going to have problems. We're going to have the hottest summers that we've ever had. We had a hot summer. I mean, it was in the hundreds almost all day, every day, throughout the whole summer. But brethren, this isn't the first time we've had that. It's been like that before. We've had a dry... Matter of fact, I think it was what's been a hundred days since we've had any measurable rain. Since back in July. So, I mean, it's been like that before. We've had winters where we've had snow up to our hip. It's been like that before. We've had years where we've not had any snow. It's been like that before. We've had times whenever the ice caps begin to melt. But then we have times whenever they get bigger again. We have times whenever uh, there's a few polar bears. Then we have times where there's a lot of polar bears. Brethren, it, it comes and goes. It's cyclical. Year in and year out. But listen, it's all being preserved until the day of fight. Listen, we are not going to destroy this world because God is preserving it for His judgment. Man cannot destroy this earth. Only God can destroy it. <clears throat> but he says here, keep that in mind. Remember that. Remember, not only is this earth going to continue on until God comes, but when he does come, he's the one that's going to destroy it, and it will be destroyed, and all the wicked will be destroyed as well. He says... <clears throat> Beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing. That one day is with the Lord is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. Remember, God is not bound with time. God is an eternal being. 
And he is in the ever now, ever present now. And so one day to him, uh, is like a thousand for us. And a thousand of our days is like one day to him. And now this is just a comparison. This is a illustration that Peter is given. And men like to take this and make it. There you go. Whenever God says one year, that means a thousand years, exactly a thousand years. And what do they start doing? They start counting days. They start looking for signs. We just passed last week or the week before last. Listen, what was happening? Professing Christians were counting down the days till Jesus was going to return because if we add up these days, if we add up the festivals and feasts of the Old Testament, and if we look at the patterns, and if we see this moon and that moon and this moon and all this stuff, and they get out their dispensational maps and they start looking at all the stuff that the that all the dispensationalists put up and all this stuff, and then they start listening to all the Jewish junk that's out there, which the Lord, by the way, said was a uh, was a synagogue of Satan and has decimated their religious system, by the way, uh, and said that it will never more be. Um, they start listening to those things, and then what do they do? They start counting down, and they say, all right, the Lord's coming back on September the 27th. September the 23rd through the 27th, any of these days. Oh, I think it's going to be the 27th. I think it's going to be by this certain time of day, blah, blah, blah. Whenever Jesus said, no man knows the hour, no man knows the day except the Father in heaven. He's the only one that knows whenever he's coming back. God is coming back on his timetable and whenever he decides to come back. And no man knows that and no man's going to figure that out. No man's going to count the days and, and get it right. Okay? There's been, listen, I've grown up in the 80s. In the 80s, there was a deal just like these last two weeks where everyone was saying the Lord's coming back on this day and they counted up the days and the reasons why. They even put out a book, 88 Reasons Why the Lord Will Return in 1998, or 1988. And I mean, it, it, it caused this great revival of everybody coming back to Jesus because everybody was scared that Jesus was coming back. And listen, you can't scare anybody into being saved. You can scare people into being religious Start coming to church, cleaning up the rack because they know Jesus is coming back tomorrow. Jesus is coming back tomorrow, so I'm getting my act cleaned up. Well, you don't, you're not saved by cleaning up your act. You're not saved by coming to church. You're not saved by those things. All that is is scare tactics for religionists to get other religionists to join in with their religion so that they feel good that they have been successful in their religion making. Okay? That's what all that is. And so, Jesus said here that a day is with the Lord is a thousand years, a thousand years is one day. This is basically just saying that the Lord, time is not an issue with the Lord. And so we just need to wait upon Him, hope in Him, and look for Him to come. He could come at any time. Now, there is no reason why we should ever doubt that the Lord could come at any time. Could he come today? Absolutely. Could he come before I'm done preaching this message? Absolutely. He could come at any time and he will take the wicked away and he will keep the elect among himself and eternity will begin after he destroys all things. That can happen at any minute. 
But brethren, don't let the scoffers who keep saying, well, yeah, you said that yesterday. You said that last year. You said that the year before. Don't let that persuade us to be ignorant of the fact that Jesus promised that he was coming back. I know I said that last year. And guess what? It's a year closer to him coming. (laughs) It's a year closer now. So, I think one of the biggest things that is a hindrance, uh, or at least is is a black eye to Christianity, so to speak, is whenever Christians start trying to date Christ's coming. He's going to come on this date, at this time. Don't do that. Every time you do that and, and that doesn't happen, it just makes things look bad for the, the true Christianity. So people shouldn't do that. He says here, he says... <clears throat> He says, the Lord is not slack. So he said, a thousand years is a thousand, uh, is one day, a day is a thousand years. So he says, quit looking at the time frame of it. Look at the promise. Did Jesus promise that? If he promised that, then you can bank on it. But he never did say how long it was going to be before he comes back. He never did say, I'm going to be back in two months. He didn't say, I'm going to be back in two years. He didn't say I was going to be back in two millennia, which is 2,000 years, okay, which we now are two millennia away, you know. We don't know. But he said this, one thing don't be ignorant of is that he is coming back. And he goes into verse 9 and says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. Now some will say, well, yeah, he is slack. It's been 2,200, I mean, it's been 2,022 years since supposedly he was born and now here it is, you know. Been 2,000 years and he still hasn't come back. He's pretty slack in that. Yeah, you think 2,000 years is anything? There was 4,000 something years before Jesus even came. 2,000 years is only half of that. But whenever you compare that to the fact that God is eternal, (laughs) 2,000 years is just a speck. 2,000 years is just a... The Bible says that our life, and and the the Bible usually gives that the the average length of man's life is 70 years. And he says that man's life is just a vapor. You know, whenever it gets cold outside, you walk out and you and it just... And then it goes away. That's how God is comparing our 70 years of life is just a vapor. That's how long it is compared to eternity. It's nothing. It's nothing. And so that's what Peter is writing here saying, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering. See, don't look at it as, well, God's not keeping his promise. Don't look at it that way, Peter's saying. He's saying, look at it this way. God is being long-suffering to his elect, not willing that any of them should perish. He's not wanting any of them to perish, but all of them to come to repentance. Now, we know that this verse, verse 9, is often used by Arminians, or by those who believe in free will, free choice, that believe that they choose their own salvation, that they have to accept Jesus as their personal Savior to get saved, which is not true, but 
they use this verse to say, see there, God loves everybody and wants everybody to be saved because he's not willing that anyone should perish. So there, you see, God did send Jesus to die for everybody, and he does want everybody to be saved. And so he does leave it up to them to choose, because he's not willing that any should perish, but the only reason they perish is because they don't choose him. But see, that's not what this verse says. This verse isn't even written about them. This verse is only written about the elect of God. Who's this? Who is this letter written to? We just read it. To the elect... Of God, to those who have obtained like precious faith. That's not the reprobate. That's that's not that's not everybody else. That's only the elect of God. Those who have obtained, not those who have chosen to exercise faith, those who have been given a faith, those who are the elect of God, those who are the beloved. That's who the us word is there in verse 9. But is long-suffering to us word. God is holding out this time period and not coming back because He has elect in every generation. He has elect in every nation, every tribe, every tongue. And He has a, a, a certain number. That he has chosen before the foundation of the world. That he has written down in a book. I know my kids have heard me say this now a couple times this last weekend. But he has written their names down. And he knows who they are. And until every one of those people have come to repentance, meaning that they have come by faith to trust in Christ alone for salvation and not trust in themselves in religious activity and religious works and what they do for salvation until that point, till that last person that God has ordained from the foundation of the world to believe comes to belief, then he's long-suffering. Meaning that he is, he is not ending everything right now. He is, he is suffering that these things should be and continue to be wicked, continue to be evil, continue to have the reprobate among the, the elect, to have the wicked among the righteous, to have the sheep and the goats mingled together, to have the wheat and the tares mingled together. He's not separating them yet. He's long-suffering, allowing that to take place. Why? Because he has a purpose in all of that. But at the end, at the end, there will be a separation. The goats are not going to beg for mercy and get in. If you remember Jesus, he gave a uh, illustration of uh, the the uh, what was it the ten virgins? Five of them were ready, and five of them were not. Whenever the bridegroom came, the five that were ready went with him, and the other five that went because they're. They weren't ready for him to return. Whenever they got there, they begged, hey, give us some of your oil for our lamps and everything. And they said, you know, you should have been ready. You know, we can't give you our, our lamp. We can't give you our oil. And so they were taken in. The other ones were left out. Well, there's not going to be a day just like whenever Noah, whenever it began to rain and God shut the door to the ark. All those people, can you imagine? All those people... That was the first time it had ever rained. It had never rained on the earth until the day that it rained for Noah and the flood. It never rained. 
And the Bible says that the floodgates of heaven were opened up, and the and within just a few days, the whole entire earth. And and think about it. Y'all been to the mountains before? You guys have seen the mountains and how tall they are. I mean, you go to Colorado, and some of those mountains up there are eight thousand feet above sea level, above the water level. Eight thousand feet. Some of them are more than that. Some of them are twelve, fifteen thousand feet above the water level. Now you think of that across the whole entire world, how much water it takes to cover everything in the world. That's a lot of water. And within so many days, God flooded the whole entire world. That's a lot of rain. That's some heavy rain. Can you imagine those people when all of a sudden something started happening that they had never seen before, these floodgates of heaven being opened up? And they now remember Noah saying, it's going to rain. It's going to rain. Repent. It's going to rain. Repent. It's going to rain. They're making fun of him, scoffing at him. And when God shut the door, there was no more people getting in. No more people was going to get in. God, as a matter of fact, designed the ark for those people and those people only. And those people outside, we see pictures of it and stuff like this. All those people outside the ark, banging on the ark, begging to get in and things like that. Listen, the wicked will not be shown any mercy. They will not be shown any mercy. God is long-suffering now towards the wicked for the sake of the elect. But there will come a time when God will no longer be long-suffering And that judgment will come. And Peter is reminding them, listen, we are being bombarded by wickedness today. We are being bombarded by scoffers and false teachers today. We are being persecuted. And brethren, we may be persecuted in days to come. But he's saying, remember, don't be ignorant of this one thing, that this is just a short period of time in your ever eternal life that God has given you. One of these days, You're going to be absent from this body. You're going to be present with the Lord. One of these days when the resurrection comes and Christ comes again, you'll have a new body, and that is going to last forever. It won't die. And listen, the time that you're going to experience from there forward, this little time period you've spent on earth is nothing. And what little bit of ups and downs, what little bit of hardship, what little bit of um, uh, uh, turmoil of wickedness that you've had to endure of pain, of suffering of agitation, of even like I said, persecution these things that you've experienced for what little bit of time you are here and to some it may be 80 years worth of it what little bit of time compares nothing to what we're going to experience in eternity and he says he's not willing that any should perish or that all come to repentance but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away with great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also, and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Everything is going to be destroyed, and there will be a new heaven and a new earth that will come down from God. But God is not willing that any of us should perish, so that's why he's waiting, that's why he's long-suffering, because none of us are going to experience that judgment that's going to come. 
He says, verse 11, Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? See, the others are, are scoffing, saying, Lord's not coming back, just go ahead and don't worry about it. Live however you want to live. Just do whatever you want to do. It don't matter. It don't matter. Now, brethren, I'm telling you, we're going to continue to sin until the day that we die. We still have this flesh. But the child of grace has been given in them a desire for holiness, a desire for righteousness, a desire to obey Christ Jesus. Now, can we obey Him perfectly? Absolutely, we cannot. And should we be thinking that, hey, I need to obey Him that I might continue to be righteous or accepted before Him? No. The gospel doesn't teach us that. The gospel teaches that all that's been given to us freely by our substitute. But that doesn't change the fact that we still want to do the very thing that we can't do, and that's to be obedient. We still want to do it. And we still try to strive to do it. Why? Because we want to honor the Lord. We want to, we want to get, show Him praise. We want to, we love Him. And so we want to keep those commandments, even though we know we can't perfectly do that. And so he's saying here, how should we, you know, seeing that these things are going to take place, how should our conversation or how should our walk in godliness be? He says, looking for and hastening unto the coming day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. I can't even imagine what that's going to look like. I can't even imagine how it's going to happen even. But it says it's going to happen. Nevertheless, we, who are we? The elect, the righteous, the beloved. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise. Whose promise? Christ's promise. Who's Christ? He's God. Manifested in the flesh. The triune God dwelling in body form. That's Jesus. He says... According to his promise, look for new heavens and new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, so in light of all that, he's saying, in light of all that, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye be found of him in peace, without spot and blame. What does it mean, being found in peace? Does he mean... Be diligent to make sure that you're getting saved, right? No, that's not what he's saying. It says, be found of him in peace. Quit getting worked up about it all. The Lord is in control of everything. The Lord is over all things. You think, you think Joe Biden's running everything? Well, we know he's not running anything, but you think the Democrats are in control of everything? You think the one world government's in control of everything? The Illuminati and all the other Junk that, you know, is going on. The shadow governments is back there behind with all these people. Do you think that they're actually in control of anything? No. There once was a time whenever Caesar was in control of most of the known world. And Pilate, who was one of his underlings, who had been given control over the area of Jerusalem, controlled all that area. The Jews, even among their people that was leaders in the Jews... They had no power over the Romans. The Romans were in charge. And at any whim, those Romans could kill you for anything they wanted to do. 
And anything that Caesar decided to do, you had to do it, or you would die. And Jesus stood before Pilate, and Pilate looked and said, I can't find anything wrong with this man. I don't see anything that he's done wrong. I don't see any reason why these people are wanting him to be crucified. And they kept calling for his blood, kept calling for his blood. And he even went and said, well, you know, I don't see anything wrong with this man. And he even offered up another criminal. He said, I know that you have a, a, a you have a custom with your people at this time of year. You know, I can set this man free and let him go. And they said, give us birth. They chose a thief. They chose a murderer over Jesus Christ. They would rather have that man among them than Jesus, who had done nothing but heal the sick, raise the dead, feed the multitudes, done all these miraculous things, loved them, was kind to them, preached the truth to them, but yet they didn't want him. They wanted to kill him and let me have the murderer Barabbas instead, turn him loose and let keep Jesus. And Pilate was saying, hey listen, don't you know that I can turn you loose? Just with one thing, I could, I could have all this changed. And Jesus told him, he said, you know, and I'm paraphrasing, you think you have power, but you don't have any power except what's been given to you by my Father in heaven. See, we think that all this stuff is spiraling out of control in this world, but it's not. God is still in control of all this, and this is what he's saying here. He's saying, <clears throat> Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, we're looking for the return of Christ, we're looking for the time when God does away with wickedness and evil and, and separates us and pulls us out and relieves us from sin and all the effects of sin and all the people in sin and all the wickedness that's out there to remove us from all that. And he says, Be diligent that ye be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. That doesn't mean perfection, that you need to be without sin. He's saying that you be found in Him in peace, trusting Him, in faith looking to Him, knowing that He not only is in control, but that He is our righteousness, and that He is our defender, and that He will come and make things right. He will justify His name. He will justify His glory. He will come in judgment, and He will uh, destroy the wicked in all sin. And that we, because of His righteousness, will not be part of that. That's what He means. That we be found of Him in peace. That we be found of Him without spot. Be found in Him. Be found of Him without spot and blameless. See, we only are spotless and blameless because of the righteousness of Christ. So this means that we are to be living in faith. That we are to be living by faith. By the faith of Jesus Christ. What He done. And not what we have done. Verse 15. And account that the long-suffering of the Lord is salvation. See, the reason the Lord is being long-suffering is because He is manifesting, exhibiting, carrying out His salvation. He has saved His people and now He is manifesting that in all the world by their coming in faith to Him. The long-suffering of the Lord is salvation, even as our beloved Paul, 
also according to the wisdom given unto him, to him hath written unto you. So see, Paul is wrote the same things. Now, see this carefully, what Peter is saying. Now, this is before the New Testament was written, right? This is before the Bible even came all together. Now, they had the Old Testament scriptures. They had it in Hebrew, but they also had it in Greek, the Septuagint. And he says here, he says, even as our beloved brother Paul also, according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which that which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures. So what is Peter doing here with the writings of Paul, his epistles? What did Peter just what did Peter just mean by saying that about Paul's writings? We'll, we'll look at it there. Figure this out. You guys start reading your Bibles and start looking at these things and and and, and pray that the Holy Spirit give you an understanding of this. What did Peter say about Paul's writing in view of what that what he just said here? He says, as they do also the other scriptures. So what's he saying about Paul's writings? Would that not mean that Paul's writings were the scriptures? If he says, as they also, right? Also, the other scriptures. He's talking about Paul's epistles, and he said, "Listen, people are are not understanding. They're un, they're un, they're not understanding Paul's epistles when he writes to them, as all the other scriptures they don't understand either. So he's saying that listen, Paul's epistles are scripture. See, they didn't understand. They're not understanding the Old Testament, but they're also not understanding Paul's writings either. Who's he talking about?" These unlearned men, these who are ignorant of God's word, those who are ignorant of spiritual things, the ones who were, as they says right here, resting the other scriptures. That means that they're taking the, the scriptures and they're turning it to make it fit what they think it means. We call that eisegesis. Eisegesis is taking the scriptures and laying on it what you think instead of just letting taking the verses and explaining the meaning of the verses. What are the verses teaching? That tells us what we believe. But what mostly we do, and I'll be, I'm, I've been guilty of this also, and I pray that God keeps me from continuing to ever do this ever again, but we have an idea, we have a tradition that we've learned growing up. Maybe our parents taught us something, or our grandparents taught us something, or a church that we used to uh, be a part of that was their teaching all this time, and we heard that over and over and over and over and over and over over in our mind, and then all of a sudden we come and we see, man, I don't really think that's really what the Bible is saying, but it's hard to get it out of our mind. Why? Because we've been indoctrinated with something else. Why? Because somebody took something and they said, this is what I believe, 
and this is what I think that this says. So it has to say that because of what I think about this. So what are they doing? They're eisegeting. They're laying their interpretation of, they're laying their tradition, their belief, their presupposition on the scripture and saying the scripture has to say this because it doesn't fit in my box of how, of my understanding of what I've been taught about this. So it can't mean that. Instead of saying, that's what the Bible is saying. So, oh, I thought I was always taught this. Well, that must have been wrong because this right here is clear. This is what this is. There was a time that I didn't believe and I preached against election. That God elected a people for himself and gave them to Christ before the foundation of the world. And he decided their destiny and not us. I didn't like that doctrine. But, you know, there came a time that the Lord showed me in Scripture that's the truth. But yet what I had learned and what I had taught myself, if I went to the Scriptures, I was always trying to make excuses for why that's not true. Why? Because I didn't like that doctrine, because I wasn't taught that doctrine. It was foreign to my understanding. And I heard even people that I had always went to church with and my family and things saying that, oh, that's a bad doctrine. Oh, yeah, that's the doctrine of devils. You know, I've heard that from people before as well. That's the doctrine of devils, election is, and all that stuff. And so what did that do? That formed in my mind, and therefore when I went to Scripture, I was like, well, that can't mean that, because we all know that's the doctrine of devils. When all along, it's actually the doctrine of Christ. Just the opposite. And so that's called exegesis. Taking out from what the Scriptures teach. We get what we believe from what the scriptures teach, not laying our interpretation upon the scriptures. And so Peter here, he says that Paul has written these things and people are misunderstanding these things and they're taking them and turning them to mean certain things as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Look at verse 17. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before... Beware, lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. Now there's a couple of things that can go on here. We can listen to the scoffers and be led away. And say, you know, they're right. Maybe the Lord didn't really mean what he meant. Maybe he really isn't coming back. He has taken a long time. He did say, he did say that he was going to come back and get us, but he hadn't been back yet. Now, I would pause to say this. Did Jesus make mention of coming again soon? He did. Did John write in Revelation the things that are soon to take place? Yes, he did. But are those events the same as the events we're talking about here? Are the events that were soon to take place and the coming again soon... The coming that Jesus is talking about here is return to destroy the heavens and the earth and to remove the wicked from the righteous. Is that what he was talking about? Or was he talking about the judgment? He would soon come to Jerusalem in judgment upon Jerusalem as had been prophesied, as Jesus had told him he was going to do, and as he most certainly did, whenever he came in AD 70, by the hand of 
the Romans and destroyed all of Jerusalem. Millions of Jews killed. The temple destroyed. All the religious things destroyed. Just as Jesus had promised. I'm going to leave unto you your house desolate. Why? Because it's the synagogue of Satan. It doesn't preach about me. It preaches about self-righteousness. Is there going to come a time whenever Jesus is going to come again and he's going to show forth his righteousness compared to the righteousness of men? Absolutely. What was he promising back then, though? That he was going to come and, as he promised, was going to destroy Jerusalem and show them that judgment has come to their house. And that's exactly what happened. What was John in Revelation talking about? John in Revelation was talking about the things. I must show you these things that must soon take place. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 1. He says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants, things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto the servant John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of the prophecy and keep those things which are written therein for the time is at hand. The time is at hand means for the time is now. It's time for this to happen. So whenever John wrote this, and I believe that John wrote this before the destruction of Jerusalem, that John wrote these things and it was a warning of the things that was to come. I believe that he wrote these things to tell everybody that this was going to happen. But listen, this is only part of the Lord's overarching work in in uh, his creation. And that the end will come. But this right here was talking about a destruction. He's writing to the seven churches about repentance. And then he begins to write about all the things that we are going to experience in this lifetime and then ultimately into eternal things. But what John is writing about were things that were soon to take place. And I believe that they were. What Jesus preached about in Matthew 24, I believe, were things that were soon to take place. Speaking of the destruction of Jerusalem. And so, uh, let me turn my Bible out for Peter, let me get back to Peter here. And so Peter says here, Seeing that you know these things, beware lest ye also be led away with the error of the wicked. Fall from your own steadfastness. So see, he's calling for us to be steadfast in these things. Don't let the world and all the things going on think that things are out of control. Remember, let us be found of him in peace. But he says, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. And so we see that we are to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we do that as God enables us. Um, matter of fact, Peter talks about this again in uh, earlier a letter in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2. Says, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all uh, evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that you may grow by it hereby, thereby. 
So we are to desire the sincere, sincere milk of the word. Do you desire the sincere milk of the word? Do you love the word of God? Do you love reading the word of God? Studying the word of God? Child of grace has that desire to, to study those things. He says in Ephesians chapter 4, and in verse 15, I believe. He says, matter of fact, I'm going to go back to verse 11. He says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints. That means the maturing of the saints. For the work of the ministry. Who's the one who's doing the work of the ministry? For the perfecting of the saints. The maturing of the saints. For the work of the ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ. Okay? That's the reason that preachers are given is to help mature in their, in their reminding and bringing them into remembrance of all these things. Teaching the Word of God, preaching the Word of God, putting before them every, every time they meet the Word of God, edifying, building up the body of Christ. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect or a mature man unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth... Why? Why do we do that? Why, why am I preaching here today? Why am I teaching doctrine? Why am I, why am I make, being specific about what they say versus what does the Bible say? You know, a lot of people take offense at that, right? They take offense whenever preachers say, well, why at all time are you always talking about what they say is wrong and you're right? Well, I'm not saying that I'm always right. I've, you, you've heard me enough to know that I know that I can be wrong. I'm not saying that I'm always right. I'm saying the Bible's right. And if what they're saying is against what the Bible says, they're wrong. And so I'm pointing that out so that you might see that and not be deceived by it. Because he says right here, one of the reasons why that pastors and teachers are given for the maturing of the saints and the work of the, for the work of the ministry and for the building up of the body of Christ is that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. So that you might be steadfast in the doctrine that, uh, that Christ has already given us. And not looking out there and saying, well, that kind of sounds good. Or whenever, you know, hey, my best friend, they believe this. And that sounds, that to me sounds pretty right. I don't know. Or, Mama told me this. I, I can't go against what Mama told me. Well, now Dad's telling me this, and maybe I should listen to Dad. Guess what? You're being carried about by every wind of doctrine. There's only one body of doctrine that has been given to the saints. That was by Christ. He says that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and the cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Here it is. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, that we might grow up into him in all things, that we might grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ and his doctrine the teachings about Him and what He has done. 
That's what we are to grow in. And as we grow in those things, all these other things, guess what? They don't mean nothing to us. We can live in peace knowing what Christ has said. My grandpa used to always say, and he used to talk about counterfeiters. You know, we have all these men that are called apologists out there, and they go and they study all these uh, false religions and cults and all these uh, things, and they have all their debates and all this kind of stuff, and they're out there learning everything they can about that so that they can warn people of the stuff that's fake. My grandpa used to always tell me, and he always would tell this story about, um, you know, the people that that, uh, that that work with money. And they said, you know, whenever they learn to know about counterfeiting, you know, how to tell a counterfeit bill, he said, they don't go and study all the counterfeits. They don't go out and study about what all the counterfeits look like, feel like, taste like, smell like, act like, look like. What do they do? They study the original thing. And they get to know the original thing so well that whenever something does fake come in, they know that it's a fake. They can tell that it's a fake. Why? Because they know the real thing and what it's like. See, if I was to go out like with a dollar bill, you know, for a long time, or for money, I should say, for a long time we used to have those pins that you drew on you could tell it was a fake, but now you guys know that they've got counterfeit bills out now that can fake out the fake pen, right? Why is that? Because every time that some that a fake is found out, what does what do the people that are wicked do? They find another way to get around the truth and make the fake again. See, Satan is all the time disguising himself as a angel of light, as a messenger of light, of something that's good. And so he's always conforming himself to make himself look good. And what does wickedness and evil always do? They always try to put a good spin on it to make it look good so that it will be acceptable. The counterfeit bills, they had it for a while. It looked like the same thing, but oh, we got found out every time something was checking us. Every time somebody came and checked the validity of who we are, now now we're found out. So what do we do? Now we slink over here and we change our ways a little bit to be, look more real. Now whenever they put that pin across there, it looks like it's a real one. See, brethren, that's what they do. That's what, that's what I was talking about with the lesbian and all the other stuff, uh, gays and all that stuff. What are they doing? They're making it look normal. Why? So that you'll be accepting of it. And not know that it's wrong. Why? Well, we see it on TV all the time. It's in kids' movies. It's in kids' cartoons. How can it be so bad? It's got to be right. We're just old-time thinking. That's really what it is. We're just old without, you know, no need to get hit. Get up to date. See, that's, that's how Satan moves. And this is what Peter is telling us here. He's telling us, that we need to not be tossed to and fro by every, or not uh, Peter, Paul, not being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine and the cunningness of man and the, and the wicked one who is the father of lies. He's trying to lie to us. And so he's saying here that we should be diligent and grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, brethren, if we get into God's word and learn what God's word says, 
then whenever we hear the fake stuff out there, we'll know it. We don't have to go study all that fake junk out there. Listen, I don't have to go study the Mormons and the and the Jehovah's Witnesses. I know what some of the things say, and sometimes, you know, I like to kind of know what that kind of stuff is all about and what they're saying. But listen, I don't have to go and know all that stuff whenever someone comes and knocks on my door and starts talking about, hey, you know, let me tell you about somebody about Jesus. And I say, well, what do you think about Jesus? Who is Jesus? Well, he was the first created of God. He's the, you know, the, the, the brother of Lucifer. Well, I know that that's not right. <laughs> Why? Not because I've studied what he said, but I studied this. You know what I, you know what I learned when I studied what they believe? I learned what they believe. If learning what they believe, does that tell me whether or not it's true or false? How do I know whether or not what the Mormons say is true or false? The only way that I can know what's true and what's false from what they believe. By knowing this. How can I compare what's true and false? If I go study all the Mormons and what they believe, all I'm going to know and learn is what the Mormons believe. But unless I already know what this says, I will never know what they 